¿vale? Hello and welcome to the Troopany Show. My name's James Troopany and this is my show. And today we are in Arlington, Texas. Uh, we're at the College Park Center with 2,700 fans to watch for Ring of Honor Final Battle for 2023. This is traditionally the last show of the year for Ring of Honor. Um, and as Ring of Honor these days has only really been doing pay-per-views all year, it's the last show of the year generally for Ring of Honor. And to join me, as per usual, when it comes to Ring of Honor chat, with Mr. Marcus Green of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. How are you doing, sir? Doing okay. Uh, obviously not not uh, not on my usual gleep beat, if you will. But, uh, <laughs> you know, me and James was always go round back to Ring of Honor. You know, what, what seems to kind of be playing the ultimate subsidiary these days. But, you know, I think they show once again why they... Uh, you know, while they still a stable in the business with this show, always good to see a different vibe coming off of AEW. So, uh, yeah, we finna get into it, but we will definitely always go come back to Ring of Honor. Yeah. Uh, so, the show opens with the zero-hour show, as it tends to do. We're not going to look at that. We're going to start at the first match of the pay-per-view, which was AR Fox and Blake Christian. Uh, AR Fox did sign with AEW after the show. And they defeated, somewhat surprisingly, La Facción Ignorables, Realistico and Rouge, they with assistant Jose, with Jose, the assistant, I'll get that right, and Preston Vance, who has recently uh, defected from the Dark Order. 10 minutes and 35 seconds of a very competitive back-and-forth match with, I think, a little bit of nerves for a few people because it was their first big pay-per-view match on a, on a big show. Um some time specifically AR Fox who who is an astounding signing and you know well deserved for his long career in in the indie scene in North America but I think he was a little bit off to start with once he found his group he was brilliant Blake Christian has had an astounding year um and of course Roosh is Roosh he is omnipresent greatness and Realistico is fantastic as well to watch so this was kind of an aerial back and forth match with a bit of mat work and some just straight up bullying uh, from Roosh. Um, so there was a lot going on here. Marcus, what were your thoughts on this? I dug this. I like this. This is how you open the show. Um, it's been a while since I've seen uh, Blake Christian and certainly AR Fox. I feel like I haven't seen him since Underground. Um, but... Uh, yeah, this was this was great. Like you said, the the pace was felt a little off, maybe because of nerves and and um, you know this was a big and high crowd. You know, you know they they really pulled it in for this show. Uh, I think Rick Abana said this was their biggest uh, what pre-show uh, ticket buyout. So this was this was a big one. But uh, yeah, like you said, once things got to going, they this was a spectacle. You know, like you said, Roosh is an absolute stud. Realistico, um, you know, really had to show up and, and meet him, meet him to that degree. But Christian, they all Fox are two studs, and they really showed up and showed out. This could have been, you know, a tournament match. This could have been for a tag title. Uh, but yeah, this was definitely a definitely a good one, and I definitely want to see them, you know, run this one back. But you know, Lafaction and Robles continues to, you know, be impressive. Definitely, and yeah. they. They did end the match with getting their heat back by just beating the snot out of Blake Christian and AR Fox, which is as good a way as any. <laughs> um, um, and they left getting booed. And it, it does, I know the trouble is with AEW, they've got so much going on. But you could so easily run Roosh for the World Championship against whoever. I mean, Roosh versus MJF would be astounding to see because Roosh has kind of got that like. He is ungovernable. He is a pain in the ass, as is MGF. <laughs> yeah, except, yeah, except Roosh, even if you can't understand him, you can get behind him. Like you fully understand MGF and it's like get this guy off my screen. Yeah, that's it. You know, I'd love to see Roosh against MGF. That's kind of like that'd be intriguing to see from a character's point of view. But there's just too there's just too many main eventers. How many former world champions currently work in Ring of Honor and AEW? <laughs> yeah. too many. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and 
and I think ultimately this is certainly not the, the not ring of honor, but I was thinking about this. I'm like, this kind of makes it real convenient. The all age brand makes it real convenient for him to kind of not shutter these guys off, but to, to you know, kind of have so many of these guys who are main eventers away from the main AEW picture, but still doing something, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, uh, it's interesting. Like I said, it's not the knock all age at all. In a lot of ways, this show was better than some of the stuff AEW straight up did, but um, you know that's just kind of kind of what it is. I mean, at least like I said, it felt competitive. Obviously, the titles are still in play, but uh, it's a lot of balls to have in the air, like you said. Yeah, it's um, uh, yeah, it's just it's it's just odd. Um times really but it does like you know a guy like Bruce in the opening match it does give you a lift in the opening match that's that's kind of what that's the whole point isn't it well let's move on to our first championship match of the evening which was for the ring of honor women's championship which pitched Mercedes Martinez the champion going up against Athena um the recently dark turned Athena and Athena ended up taking the title in 13 minutes and six seconds and there was a bit of the match was Damn good. I really enjoyed it. I've not seen an awful lot of Mathena. I've seen a lot of Mercedes Martinez. They played back on a lot of the things from the Shimmer days, which was really cool. There was a lot of background storytelling, but the notes of this match got kind of interrupted because Athena is the heel and Mercedes Martinez is supposed to be the babyface coming back after three months of injury. And it's like, that didn't work because Mercedes Martinez is actually from Connecticut and Athena is from Dallas, literally uh, five minutes up the road from Arlington. So it was obvious who was going to be the babyface in this match. Now you think about it, because Athena is a very big name in Texas wrestling, has been for a long time. You know, I believe, was she trained by Booker T, which would make sense because his school's in Texas, was she, where was she trained? Uh, trained by Scandal Akbar, Lance Hoyt, Booker T, and the WWE Performance Center. It doesn't get much more Texas than being trained by Scandal Akbar, Lance Hoyt, and Booker T. So, yeah, it, it, it kind of odd to turn a heel when you know this is the outcome, and it kind of affected the notes of the match to start with. But once they figured it out, Martinez kind of wrestled heel and Athena kind of wrestled babyface to make it all work and they salvaged the match which was very good I have no complaints it was really cool in fact there was some really cool spots in it um and you know Mercedes Martinez and Athena they're awesome what did you think about this one Marcus oh this was an absolute banger uh one of my favorites of the night love both of these uh women um it's been interesting to me I was like you said Mercedes Martinez Mercedes Martinez, that's that's you know guaranteed specifically at 100 percent that you won't find many, if any, better than her. And Athena, it's been interesting watching her transition, obviously from the other place to here, and kind of finding her way. And it's been interesting, like you said, this is kind of one of those times where like her heel turn kind of hit a bump in the road, like you said, because the circumstances. Obviously, she had the whole crowd behind her, and for as good as uh, Mercedes is, she just she's a natural heel. She works better as a natural heel. Um, but this is this has kind of been Athena's rise in a lot of ways with her getting far more aggressive than we I think you know she's ever been in a lot of her dark matches uh, as of late. So it, it was interesting. But like you said, I don't I don't think I don't think Martinez had a fan in that crowd. And, uh, <laughs> You know, um, I think I think another aspect of this match, and maybe I think you're more accustomed to it because you watch this a more varied variety of, of women's wrestling. Like the sheer fact that a lot of this match was an exchange of chops for me with a women's match that was you know that was interesting. I think really you know elevated the, the intensity level between both these women. But yeah, um, this this match could have went another ten minutes for me. Uh, this this was good, and it was great to see Athena, uh, you know, back at the top of a division, you know, after, you know, she she's had a very interesting run in wrestling. You know, a couple, few years back, she could, you know, be retired off of an injury that came off of running behind a useless title, you know. 
fact that she's, you know, finally back with, you know, with a championship after so long and so many ups and downs in this way, uh, I think, I think works. And it's been interesting seeing her with this, this, you know, renewed aggression because I think it really, it really works for her. Yeah, uh, it's it's really cool as well. I mean, and they kind of like they made it all big. I mean, like um, the the real heel turn was when she slammed into Aubrey Edwards and pushed her away, which is the first time Aubrey's taken a bump in AEW, and she's been working there for two years, which was really intriguing to me that they picked Aubrey, who was obviously very sympathetic and popular with AEW fans as a fair referee. So yeah, it's they put a lot into this angle, and I just. That's the only. That's the only complaint. The actual match, great, loved it. Two veterans who know how they're doing and put together a great match. And you know, for all the stick the Ring of Honor and AEW Women's Divisions get, here's a match that shows why it can be done really well. But it's just like, then why lead this to match to Texas? Because that's obviously kind of like Athena's mum and dad were in the audience, <laughs> and she's the bad person in this. Yeah, just just struck me a little bit off. Um, of course, Lance Hoyt is actually Lance Archer, and we have to discuss this before we go any further. Though it is not news um, I bring to you in happiness, though slightly happiness for the rookies of the New Japan Dojo, for sure. Um, Minoru Suzuki grabbed the microphone this week at the final of the World Tag League and World Super J Tag League, which you can listen to on Today Out, which I commentate at the time, and announced that the 31st of December 2022 would be the final day that Suzuki Goon would be together and at that moment they would break up and go all their own separate ways to celebrate next Saturday they're having an eight-man tag with Desperado, Takemichinoku, Lance Atrans, Minoru Suzuki versus Dangerous Techers, Duki and W. Kanemaru and this will be the last time we see Suzuki going together as a unit in the ring so that's going to be a sad day for all of us I think even though they are supposed to be really evil. <laughs> Yeah, oh man, that's the second. I mean, besides the whole ending of uh, twenty five years of storytelling with the uh, the Pokemon anime, this is the second saddest news for me coming out of Japan uh, <laughs> this week. Um, man, that's crazy. But you know, all the all good things must come to an end. You know, those guys are fine. You know, New Japan is 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 is, is faction heavy, so you know something to come up. You know, they they always mixing some kind of stuff up. But those guys could obviously go obviously on their own, specifically somebody like Desperado, who has been brilliant. So um yeah, it's it's that that is more than sad because they have been an absolute staple. But you know, uh only thing that, that is consistent is change, right? So Indeed. I mean, yeah, I will miss them greatly. I really will. Um, but then again, you still get to keep the wrestlers. I'd be intriguing where they all go in, in different directions. I assume some will get absorbed into other factions, just depending on where they'll land and who will go with who. I like, kind of want to see what's going to happen there. I get, I get a feeling you'll kind of be spread out. Hontai will get some, Chaos will get some, LIJ will get some, maybe Bullet Club will get some. No one wants to join um, um, United Empire, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> but we'll see what happens there. But yeah, it'd be intriguing um, to see who ends up where, um, what and what they do. It's like it's been a great. There's been some great stories this year about revolved around Suzuki Goon. I mean, you've got Zack Sabre Jr. going for the World Television Championship at Wrestle Kingdom against Uemura. You've got the story of Dookie becoming this breakout star that can main event, and you know valuable member of the, the wrestling organization, Desperado becoming the ace of the division, and all of these things that have gone on with Suzuki going this year. The only person who hasn't really done a ton of stuff in New Japan is Minoru Suzuki, which I guess is the issue. It's like, you've kind of run out of things for Minoru Suzuki to do. He is getting older, and he's got to change the game, and that's the one thing Minoru Suzuki has done. Without really changing his character too much, without changing his style, he's, all, he's always change something to make something work and if this is what he needs to make something work good luck to him you know you gotta bear in mind when he returned to pro wrestling what in 2005 people thought he was far too brain damaged and physically damaged to ever be successful as a professional wrestler well he proved them wrong didn't he 
So he'll prove people, keep proving people wrong again until he retires. And he can choose to do that whenever he wants to. But anyway, let's get back to Ring of Honor. Uh, next up, we have an intriguing tag match featuring Shane Taylor promotion. It's J.D. Griffey and Shane Taylor going up against Swerve in our glory. Keith Lee and Stru Strickland. Um, this was kind of a grudge match back a couple of years ago. Uh, Keith Lee was the tag team partner of Shane Taylor, and they had a shot at the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Championships. Except Keith Lee got a call from WWE to go wrestle for them and left Shane Taylor high and dry. Shane Taylor went on to be one of the best world television champions Ring of Honor ever had and reinvented six-man tag team wrestling with Shane Taylor Productions. And Keith Lee went to be Keith Lee. Um, and of course, there is the ongoing tension between Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland as Swerve in our glory seems to be falling apart at the seams at every moment. You bring in J.D. Griffey to have a bit of fun and this is going to be intriguing and it certainly was. It could have been a mess because you've got four guys with violently different styles but no, this ran smooth as silk and this was a brilliant professional wrestling match to watch with layered stories between J.D. Griffey and Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland and Keith Lee and Shane Taylor and Keith Lee. The only thing I kind of was concerned about was the finish because it made everything about Keith Lee and that kind of didn't really do J.D. Griffey and Shane Taylor's part in this justice because I thought they should probably have taken the win because they're the new guys and you let the new guys win to make them seem dominant so they're useful to you in the future. And Keith Lee could stand the loss because he'd been betrayed by his tag team partner. So that was the only worry I have about this particular match, but the actual wrestling content was great. Uh, what's your thoughts on this, Marcus? Because I have a feeling you'll have a lot to say. Um, I'm 100% in alignment with you. I mean, just the, you know, logical, traditional storytelling would say that you, you know, specifically with the way at this last match. I mean, obviously, Keith Lee is a, is a freak of nature, a monster, what have you, all that. We know that. But it would have really done no harm to go ahead and give, because the great storytelling on, on both sides uh, with this, bringing that great history in between Lee and, and Shane, like you said, um, you know, he kind of, I mean, he, he kind of came in like the story was, he kind of left him high and dry. And, and Shane had to, you know, build from the ashes and rise. And he more than did that. And he really did that in spades, becoming one of the best, you know, guys in Ring of Honor. Uh, and must watch with the, with the six-man tag. So, you know, they both went on to great success. But, you know, there was that second point of you kind of left me high and dry. I need to, I need to get some payback. So it would have really done Keith no uh, harm to have Shane get that big win and it would have worked perfectly. And he just got left high and dry, you know, again, paying, you know, dividends from the last big show, but, you know, swerving our glory. So it, it just would have made logical sense. I don't necessarily, I guess the whole thing about him really ultimately never needing swerve because he could get it done on his own. But like you said, it just it could have it could have went the other way. I get it, but it you know would have done him no harm. So because ultimately to me, as good as this match was, and, and with the backstory between Shane and Keith, it was always gonna be serving the larger narrative, which was the swerving our gore attention, which yeah. they yeah. did brilliantly here. The whole thing with Lee catching um, the guy on the outside, and he's like, "Bomb's Bomb's not gonna forgive you." This that and the third, and he. Let him go, and then he kicks him in the head, like, man, get your head in the game, that whole thing. So because it was always serving that narratively, ultimately, it just would have been, seemed like the logical decision. They went a different route, but we all know where this is going. Um, you know, this has probably been some of the best storytelling Keith Lee's had since, I guess, his his ultimate rise in NXT to the uh, North American Championship when he finally caught fire. But... Um, yeah, this is gonna be this is gonna be fun to watch. These two have been on the collision course, even when it seemed like they were gelling. So, you know, I think that these two have certainly had probably some of my favorite storytelling coming out of AEW this year. It's they're brilliant. They're both amazing, and it's the, <laughs> it is the, the concerning thing for me as I look at Paul. African-American wrestlers together in the ring is they do seem to have got pigeon told into that thing 
of oh two black wrestlers let's put them together and make a tag team out of them and it's just like well having said that this has been a brilliant narrative you know it's been really well done of how they put it together and it's got over other things as they've gone thing which is what's supposed to happen you know I love the acclaimed, but would the acclaimed have got over so much if it wasn't for the matches they had with Swerve in our glory? You know, there's they were going up against an impossible to beat tag team and they beat the impossible to beat tag team. So, you know, there's loads of stuff that's come out of it that's worked really, really well. Yeah, I mean, to your point, you're not wrong. Um, because in, in a lot of ways, I mean, it's, Swerve is, is, you know, just great. I think he's found another gear, you know, uh, even more so than when he was in, in uh, NXT. Because, I mean, you, you watch this guy, and it's like, okay, they put him with Lee, and they're great, and then the whole acclaim thing comes along. It's like, damn, I think I like this guy even more as a heel, mm-hmm. which is kind of what he was working towards in, in NXT, what have you, but for something else clicked, and I think it was working off of Lee and, and his, you know, um, high functionality of intellect. Uh, that's being portrayed on screen. Uh, and then, like you said, will the acclaim had caught fire the way that they did if it wasn't playing off of this whole thing with Lethan, uh, Lethan, uh Swerve. So, you know, I think that's one of those times where the, the highest part of wrestling kind of just, you know, falls to the wayside and, you, and, and nature kind of just takes its own course. I guess like in a lot of ways, like the whole Hogan and Rock thing and Mania, when the when the crowd turns, sometimes you just don't know how things are gonna go. Um, so I'm, yeah, I definitely get your point about the slapping black wrestlers together because we've seen that a million and two times. But it might have it might work to their benefit, but we gotta we gotta see how how they let this play out. Yeah, I mean, sometimes, it, sometimes it does. The classic case is Aussie Open, Carol <laughs> Fletcher and Doug Zilla Davis. Oh, you're two Australians. We'll put you in a tag team together. And they just had a blinding world tag week. So it does work sometimes. But a lot of the time, it is just like, oh, basic, consistent, uh, basic thing you have in common. Let's make a tag team out of you. And yeah, it, yeah. You know what? New Day is one of the most shooting star things that's ever happened in wrestling to me. And that that never that it never happens like that. So, you know, it, it actually goes the opposite way, and then we never hear from those guys again. So, um, it's not exactly a consistent formula at all. No, it's also like at that point, New Day didn't care whether they got fired or not because it was clearly a terrible idea. So, they just did what they wanted to do, <laughs> and I was like, oh, this works. <laughs> So yeah, it's it, that's that's the thing, isn't it? It's like Jim Ross often says, "They, who are they? Do your thing and stop worrying about they." It's true. Uh, okay, Ring of Honor still six man tag team championships: the Embassy, Bishop Khan, Brian Cage, and Toa Leona, with Prince Nana defeated Dalton Castle and the Boys in ten minutes and two seconds in the Ultimate Underdog match. Dalton Castle and the Boys have been two times a six man. Two times six man tag team champions. Does that make does that 12 man tag team? No. Um, yeah, they've been the two time champions. They have done a really good job, but it, it was clear from the offset they were they were going to get a hammer in because they, they're big lads, the embassy. They are not small by any stretch of the imagination. They are large. And that was pretty much the narrative of this show. These three guys are quite small, these three guys are quite large, and they practiced hurling them around the room, basically. Marcus, your thoughts? One side of the ring, you got Don Castle and the boys, and the other side of the ring, you have team. We don't miss no meals um, with the embassy and uh, obviously uh, King Nana, Prince Nana, I should say. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, we always say here, specifically with me and James, with, with a lot of this stuff, because obviously a lot of watch time between the two of us um nobody likes to, f- to watch a far gone conclusion and um like you said this was an underdog thing and then dalton it dalton is, is a stud and the boys have come a very long way over the years but you you can't you know you can't put regular animals versus kaijus you know what i'm saying and i think that's ultimately what happened here um you know there, there was a good fight in it but ultimately, you know, you 
you're not going to do anything throwing rocks at a mountain, you know, and that that's, you know, finally the one they call Cage finds some success via championship, uh, which which I guess will guarantee him more TV time, hopefully. Um, yeah, so this, this was a good 10-minute back and forth, but I think ultimately I don't know how the embassy would have lost, and they are going to be very hard to beat because you got Cage, um, and, and Khan and, and Toa. I mean, look, and Khan used to be a part of Shane Taylor Promotions, correct? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they just, I mean, just three studs, absolutely. You know, I think the Dalton and the Bulls represented very well with those six men, but uh, it feels like one of those situations now where the embassy not going to lose those straps until they want to. So uh, we definitely go see what type of competition they breed. But, uh, yeah, this kind of was a far go. I'm like, if they lose this, they don't deserve to be a faction no more. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, Brian Cage is such an interesting guy. In I mean, well, apart from his fairly awful political opinions, um, he's just in the right sense. He's got everything, yet never seems to get anywhere. Like he can get to the top of promotions and then you know, just disappears into the ether. He's done it in AAA. He's gone back and forth into the top and back down again. He's done it in the underground. He's doing it in AEW now. It's like, you know, a year ago, he seemed unstoppable. And now, six time tag team champions, which is fine. He's a member of the embassy instead of being a member of Team Taz, which was like the premier faction at the time. Don't quite get it. And as to be kind of something that's going on backstage. So I don't know. We'll see. Let us move on to the Ring of Honor Pure Championship match, part of a serious business series of main event matches. Wheelie Utah and Danielle Garcia have been back and forth in AEW television since Garcia won the Ring of Honor Pure Championship. Oh, at the last pay per view, um, whose name I can't remember, it would have been um, one of them. On a battle royal pay per view things. Anyway, <laughs> um, Wheelie and Daniel Garcia have had serious back and forth action. Of course, this is part of the wider uh, Jericho Appreciation Society versus Blackpool Combat Club view that's been going on for months. Um, but this has been one of the most intriguing sections because it's been two young wrestlers who really know how to go in this particular environment as badass shooters and this is where the way it's worked and it was kind of a shout out that the Blackpool Combat Club is not done just because William Regal has decided to leave that they're still firing on all cylinders and all four of them have goals they want to complete as a unit. The first one was to get Wheelie Utah back his pure championship. This was an interesting story of the match with Utah falling behind early on and then having to dig deep and pull out and come from behind victory against Garcia when Garcia seemingly had all the answers. So this was pretty special to watch. What's your thoughts on this one, Marcus? Once again, 100% agree. This was another one of my favorites of the night, without a doubt. Um, the, the great story coming into this, obviously, like you said, Garcia knocked him off. Yeah, took the title back from him, I think, on the episode of Dynamite. Um, Yuta's been steaming ever since to get back to him. Um, obviously, you know, the whole thing with Yuta, um I mean, Garcia kind of potentially turning face, you know, back when, you know, against Jericho, who was obviously the old Joe, very much full of himself and, you know, trying to guide Garcia towards a darker path against guys that he deeply respects, but ultimately Garcia sided with Jericho. So that that whole thing, you know, and then Yuta finally kind of gets his shot back and the great story behind this match, like these guys clearly hated, you know, have a severe disdain for each other. But how much of that will play into, you know, staying within the parameters of the pure match itself and the pure rules. So that was great um, because they were very much trying to hurt each other. But obviously, it's only so many things you can't do. Like they open a thing with an exchange of right hands, both getting warnings for the close fist, which I thought was great. Um, Yeah, like you said, you know, coming into this match, you didn't expect Garcia, who can go. Obviously, like you said, this kind of caters to his style. But backing you into a corner where he had no options, um, I thought was a great strategy. And, and Yuta had to really show himself as the, you know, kind of shining, 
you know, guy in the Blackpool Club in terms of taking those lessons and putting them to full use because ultimately it came down to a war of attrition and you the one, you know, because Garcia didn't lose any of his uh any of his three uh bars. So it was it was just great to watch. These two this is kind of like one of those fight forever situations where you could always watch these two revisit and go back to each other because I don't think they're ever going to be friends and they don't ever need to. Uh, specifically with the Jericho Appreciation Society being as annoying as it is as a whole. But uh, yeah, this was just great. And I think my favorite thing is I was hoping that they didn't break the Blackpool uh, club up after the whole scuttle with Regal and they haven't. I think Moxley is the next natural, was the next natural guy to lead that with everything that he's done, and uh, it's brilliant. Now we got two-thirds kind of back-running things, so we'll see if we can get that uh, that trifecta going, because I don't, I don't think Moxley should have ever dropped it, but that's just me. <laughs> yeah, interestingly as well, I, I'm, uh, we don't dwell much on star ratings or point ratings here on the Tribune Show. We will prefer to give full and complete opinions. Um, well, it's intriguing, because like the cage match users gave this 7.8 out of 10 and the Meltzer gave it three and three quarter stars which I thought was a bit short and bizarrely the six man tag team championship match the cage match users gave it 5.87% <laughs> and and Meltzer gave it three and a half stars and this is way more than a half star better than the six man no there's anything wrong with the six man match but you know this is better than that was just intrigues me how sometimes it comes to the things that work. Yeah, maybe, I don't know, maybe they're just not, I guess, pure purists, if you will, you know, didn't have enough near falls for them, if you will, or the, you know, the whole <laughs> S moments with the spam and the certain things, you know, we, you, you know, you got to have a certain appreciation of quality when it comes to these matches, and I guess for some people, it's kind of arduous for them to sit through, but that's, you know, that's a, that's a, um, preference thing and we understand it but you know that that's why we sit down and talk about these things uh, you know appreciate these things for what they what they are on the level that they you know get presented so yeah it's almost oh. as impressive sorry I, I echo Marcus's microphone and I forgot to wait till he turned it off it's almost as if professional wrestling is a subjective art form and we can all enjoy it on different levels just a thought yeah, now that's a shirt <laughs> Oh, uh, that is, well, one thing we can all agree on. In fact, Meltzer and the cage match users and pretty much everyone I know did agree that the Briscoes versus FDR3 was an outstanding professional wrestling match of the highest order. Five and a half stars from Meltzer, 9.6 from the cage match users, universal praise. And if you listen quietly in the background, it is the sound of John Dinsdale crying because he isn't here to discuss human suffering. Um... FDR versus the Briscoes, they had to up the ante. They'd done the regular match. They'd done best two out of three falls. There was a, still a feeling of unfinished business, but there's other stuff which we'll talk about as far as how you present the Briscoes, and I'll talk about that in a bit, but we'll get the match out of the way first before we talk about politics. This was an incredible match just because... They didn't have to do this match. They could have had any form of match that they possibly could, but they chose a dog collar chain match. And whilst obviously my uh, Ian Riccoboni and Caprice Coleman are going to wax lyrical about them, think about their families and their lives, and obviously it's it's not a life-threatening situation because they are trying to really hurt one another. It is the kind of match that does it compose of serious risk. And it is the kind of match that can certainly cause you injury. And they didn't care because they wanted to put on something that was truly special for the sake of their legacy. Because this was truly special and it was for the sake of the legacy of this feud. The Briscoes take the championships, which I didn't think they would ever do again. I thought they were done. But no, they are now the 13-time tag team champions of the world, along with an Impact Wrestling tag team championship, a GCW tag team championship, and a Noah junior tag team championship and an IWGP heavyweight tag team championship. Ooh, how many tall titles is that? Ooh, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 tag team championships of recognized world status. Hey, they're breathing down the neck of them, their Dudleys. 
Hmm, we'll see how that goes. FTR, of course, remain your IWGP and AAA Tag Team Champions. But I was wondering, the Briscoes are associate members of your uh, chaos there. And over in Japan, Bishimon won the World Tag League. And as far as the story is concerned, I think the Briscoes just did Bishimon a massive favour as it'll be Yoshihashi and Mark and uh, Go- Hiroki Goto versus FDR for the tag team titles on January the 4th. What going on in this match? Multi-story levels against multiple levels of promotions. Marcus, what's you thinking? Look, anybody that, that you know, listen to us for an extended period of time knows that the matches that are great for us, I mean, good, and then great for us. Uh, also, certain matches that have just come down to complete rubbish, as you would say. I mean, then there's those, those matches that we come to and, like, look, we could talk about it until we blew in the face. Uh, horse and a voice, if you will. But ultimately, you just need to go watch it. And this is another one of those times. Um, the Briscoes and FTR have put on a brilliant trifecta of matches that exceeded expectations every time. Um, these are two of the best tag teams um, to do this. And the fact that they have done what they have done for as long as they have and to come together after all that time and clash and put on the level of matches that they have in, in a year has been nothing short of incredible. Glad I've gotten to sit down and watch it because I very much appreciate tag team wrestling in all its forms, but it's not many times that we see something like this get done three different ways, elevate every time, and it makes sense every single time. You know, we see a lot of times where, you know, guys have 10 matches back-to-back, and ultimately it didn't make sense past maybe the third time. But this is, is how you do something like this. And I think we mentioned it talking about the Briscoes the last time uh, we talked about Ring of Honor, maybe something dealing with impact. Cause like you said, they've gone all around the world. We didn't know what was going to happen when this whole Ring of Honor kind of, you know, coming to an end traditionally went down. And then the fact that the Briscoes kind of like kind of pieced out a little bit, but ultimately you see here ended up coming full circle because they came back to the titles that they made famous. Or that uh, that they grew uh, to become two of the best in the world with in the first place. So the fact that they almost hit a different gear after all those years of being in Ring of Honor, elevated, only to come back to reclaim those titles with an even greater status as a tag team, is one of the best full circle moments that you'll see all year. And like I said, with this match, talk about it blue in the face. But you got to go watch it because I think the dog collar stipulation ultimately speaks to these four guys being just absolute studs that don't back down, that don't quit, that will go through hellfire and brimstone. And if you look at these guys' faces after the match, that's exactly what it looked like because uh, it was buckets out there. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's just insane. Just absolutely insane. Let's talk about the two teams and where they go next, because the Briscoes are Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions once again, with no obvious contenders for them. Um, David Bixler's fan this week did ask Tony Khan, uh, try to get a straight answer of why the Briscoes aren't on AEW TV more often, and Bix is kind of, and the answer he got from Tony and Bix, the interpretation that Bix took from it was essentially because they've spent their entire careers associated with the Confederate flag. And they are conservative people, and nothing wrong being conservative. They have different opinions. To me, that doesn't make them awful. Um, even if they have awful opinions, and they've done some awful things, like going to Future Shock and being massively homophobic to a gay area of the crowd, which was insensitive, to say the least. And they've done some things where they've read the room incorrectly on many occasions. But they still obviously have value to Ring of Honor as tag team champions. But how do you get past their past when, you know, let's say pre-George Floyd, the Confederate flag was kind of a bit more acceptable thing, even though, you know, it was clearly a symbol of slavery and clearly a symbol of a very dark time in U.S. history. And there's still lots of pictures of Jay's Ring of Honor World Championship belt when he was Ring of Honor champion with Confederate flags all over it. Delaware was never part of the Confederacy. 
<laughs> so it's like that makes no sense. Um, where do you go with the Briscoes from here? Because this is a bit of a sticking point. If you can't put them on your television program, though, I suppose Ring of Honor is coming back on on a, on a club on a weekly basis, and assume I assume they'll continue on YouTube as well. So it makes more sense just to stick them on YouTube because more people could see it. But anyway, that's not my that's not my call, obviously. Where do you think they go from here, Marcus? Because this is the one thing that worries me. You have some legacy Ring of Honor teams in the sense of um, Matt Taven and, and um, Mike Bennett, and you've got a couple of others kicking me around as well, and you can make up some legacy teams, but who do you see challenging the Briscoes at this particular stage? Because they've kind of just beat the best tag team in the world, so who else is there? You know, it's it's interesting. If if he wasn't on a trajectory, he's on, and naturally so, because he should be, you know, very much um, doing his own thing. And obviously, he's involved with a storyline and with with Swerve and whatnot. It almost might be interesting to just stick, you know, uh, bring thing talk about bringing things back full circle. Shane and Lee back together It's like a super type of deal to go against the Briscoes, because at this point. It's gonna take two pretty special guys to knock them off. Um, Cause I mean, they they beat two pretty special guys to get the straps in the first place, and they like I said, they went through a certain level of hell to do it. Um, if if it was me, I used them to draw that level of competition, um, like a, a Lee or Shane potentially coming together. Obviously, there's no necessary need to do that. Like I said, Shane's involved in his own thing, and and so is uh, Lee. Got his hands full with Swerve for a while, so. But I used him to draw that level of competition. Um, now, to your point, it's an interesting problem to have because you got two of the best in the world. You, like I said, it feels like a full circle moment as a fan for them to go through what they did, only to become always tag team champions again. But there is the sticking point of the history, which. In a year where probably the biggest wrestling story came that one of the most evil monarchs, if you will, in wrestling had to step down, uh, was forced to step down after years and years of being just a horrendous human being. Um, And some air of potentiality for that to be kind of discarded, whereas that person may be brought back in some evil reality. I at least appreciate the fact that that is being considered by Khan. You know, because it, it will be easy to kind of just throw it to the side and be like, you know, enough time has passed and whatnot, but you do need to be a thinking man's leader. And I appreciate the fact that that is something that is being tolled over. Like you said, it's it's different because we talked about it and, you know, the, the best sign of, of growth is change behavior, if you will. And, th- and things have been said and, 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 you know, I think in some forms work towards and for some people, that's not the case. And that's fine because it's everybody's opinion is valid. But um, it is still something to deal with specifically when they are holding two of the titles that is under your company's umbrella. So something has to be did. But I think maybe the half a medium to your point is just kind of sticking them on YouTube. But I think it will be a severe loss of a huge opportunity and money to not have these two guys at this level after the year that they've had not draw some like phenomenal super tag team competition yeah let's move on to ftr they possibly have had the best year any tag teams ever had they are still the triple a tag team champions though they don't really defend that very often they are still the iwgp tag team champions though they face a revitalized bishimon at wrestle kingdom um, now, obviously, we are both Yoshihashi and Hiroki Goto guys, so we are a little bit <laughs> biased. Um, uh, however, you know, it, it's going to be a phenomenal match because Yoshihashi and Hiroki Goto are the ultimate baby faces. You know, the ultimate, ultimate baby faces. That match they had with Aussie Open won't win Meltzer's five stars. But the crowd loved it. They were so into it on that night, on Wednesday night. You know, and Bishimon didn't have a great tournament. They didn't have great matches. They kind of squeaked their way through. It was all about fighting spirit and coming back from behind. And then they had this ungodly match with Aussie Open in the final. They thoroughly deserved this shot. 
but it's going to be it's going to be intriguing. And FDR are once in a lifetime tag team. I've seen them in person. I can absolutely assure you they are that good. And it's just going to be I I tradition says Bishimon walk out with the championships because uh, FDR haven't defended them in Japan. They weren't in Japan for World Tag League, and Traditionally speaking, Tag League champions have won those belts like Vishimon did last year at Wrestle Kingdom. The only team not to have won out the World Tag League and then taken the belts lately is Gorillas of Destiny. But, you know, um, Juice, Juice Robinson and Dave Finley won the tournament, took the belts. Um, Gorillas of Destiny last year won the tournament, or two years ago won the tournament and then missed out on the belts. But, you know, there's so much going on with World Tag League, it's kind of like it, it leads up to this great match. What's your thoughts on that? Are Bishimon going to take the championship back to Japan and keep them there? Like you said, um, regardless of who wins or who loses uh, uh, officially on the on the record, we're going to win. So that, that's ultimately, you know, I guess an early Christmas present. But I don't know, man. It's one of those things where it go either way. They are the bit Like, I don't know if anybody's had a better post WWE run than them. You know, like it's you almost look at the success they have, and I was like, why in, why did you go ever go there in the first place? Like they have absolutely had a brilliant run. It feels like they're legends walking, and you know nobody can. I mean, obviously they got touched because they got defeated, but they just they're on a different level. And I'm thinking back to you know you talking about them. I was thinking back to NXT. I'm like. I never even really scoffed at these guys just looking at them. And then I, you know, I had to respect them because they were absolutely putting on consistently the best matches in NXT when they were going against those uh, different tag teams, what have you, specifically um, American Alpha. But these guys are just completely on a different playing field. But again, you know, if me and you are attending Wrestle Kingdom, you know, you're sitting there as Officer James True Penny, and if if you know uh, there's Prince Nana, I'd be Prince Bias watching Goto and and Yoshiashi because you know those those two of my guys specifically Goto. So obviously, you know my heart's with them. But if if Wheeler and 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 Harwood retained, I wouldn't be surprised, and I wouldn't be can't say I'd be mad, but I'd I'd prefer, like you said. As great as they've been, they've been pulled in a lot of different directions. And I think they could kind of, you know, do with a little bit of a break, if you will. So I, I prefer them them titles to go back to Japan. You know, we've seen a number of different excursions for New Japan titles in the States over these last however many years. And uh, I, I like those titles to kind of be in New Japan. <laughs> All right, then. We will move on to the Ring of Honor World Television Championship. Samoa Joe was kind of business-like in his defense against Juice Robinson, the latest AEW signee, but notably still a member of Bullet Club. Hmm, intriguing. Which means Bullet Club members are now in New Japan Pro Wrestling, Impact Wrestling, AEW Wrestling, and the WWE, and Ring of Honor, of course, as well. Um, Jay White has a lot on his hands these days. <laughs> so uh, I'm not sure how much control over the WWE chapter he has I think he just lets AJ do his thing um, but Samojo, yeah this was, there was nothing wrong with this, it was kind of I hate to say it, a typical Samojo match and that's never a bad thing but the trouble is they were going on after this glorious bloodbath <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, 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 it, it was just going to be a drop in the ocean compared to anything they had to do with it. They had to kind of like calm expectations and get the crowd reset for the main event, which is a tall order when they've been through an emotional roller coaster ride like that. We didn't mention that FDR were attacked by the, the by the guns after this. Um, you know, so there was a, a whole emotional angle that they made that the Briscoes came down and made the save and you know um, made their peace with FDR and. There's loads of stuff that went on in that match. And then Samoa Joe and Juice Robinson have to come out and have a wrestling match for a, for a TV championship. And it's like, Joe's on the unstoppable run at the moment. Juice wasn't winning. As much as I love the guy, he just wasn't going to win this match. It wasn't going to happen for him. Um, so uh, they did an incredible job of 
getting the crowd reset, and that's what they had to do. That well, this was not a wrestling match about the television championship. Unfortunately, this was a match about getting the fans down to a workable level so that the main event could be a main event. And there was a lot of stuff going on in this match, which was mechanics of wrestling promotion, not necessarily wrestling. Marcus, what do you think? That's why they pay James the big bucks. Because <laughs> uh, you're 100% right. You got the monster smashing through everything. And then you got this being a cool-down match. And... Uh, yeah, it's just it's just so many elements involved in this match that didn't involve Juice that the poor guy never had a chance. And I'm mean, we huge Juice fans here, but you know it just kind of is what it is. Um, the fact that it went 30, almost 14 minutes um, that, that says a lot because it, it did feel like by the time this was over that Joe broke a sweat. That's how it felt anyway. Um, and maybe down the line this could be maybe a sticking point for Juice. The the kind of you kind of feel away like he got wiped in his match and he know he could put on something better, but between like you said it being a uh, you know they, they basically went on after a classic there was nothing that was gonna be done. Um, Joe has a lot of uh, work to be done with Wardlow so that's the thing he just got the title so he def- definitely wasn't gonna drop him. And like you said the other mechanics just didn't fall Juice's way so maybe we'll get this down the line. But uh, again, it's a foregone conclusion. <laughs> and then we move on to the main event. Claudio Castagnoli, the big match player that never wins the big matches, goes up against his mortal nemesis, Chris Jericho, the Ocho, the eight time world champion, carrying his eighth world championship, the Ring of Honor world championship, into this match. It was a match that kind of was predictable in the sense of there was a lot of high spots that were kind of got to happen. <laughs> there was some interference from the JS. There was a load of cool spots that kind of like more sports entertaining than traditional Ring of Honor. Now that didn't mean it was bad. You know, you've got two of the greatest wrestlers of all time delivering a match on a pay per view. Of course, they're going to deliver something special, and they did. It just didn't feel like a Ring of Honor main event. And I suppose that was kind of the point of Jericho's reign. I mean, the, 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 I think the best bit was Jericho just kind of like tapping out in the middle of the giant swing so we didn't have to receive the end of the giant swing. That was fine. That was really cool. I like that bit. That was a nice finish you know, because Jericho's a coward. That's the whole point. Um, and that was, that was brilliant. Um, but the match itself was really good, but it just didn't quite... It didn't feel like a ringer on a match. And... That's the trouble when you're trying to present something as an authentic product, which was, but then you get the, the, the trouble you have with the, the point of Jericho as champion. And there was interesting numbers about the pay-per-view, which we'll discuss after this match. But, you know, the whole point of having Jericho as the champion was to raise awareness of the company and do it in a non-ROH way to disgruntle ROH fans, to make him an even bigger heel and therefore to get Cloudy over as a all concrete babyface. But I'm not convinced that they managed to achieve all of the things they tried to achieve. Not to say this was bad, this was really good. Um, but the actual storytelling part could have, I don't know, I don't know how you make it better unless you use wooden guts, and that kind of goes against the whole thing, the philosophy of this match, if that makes sense. It's difficult. Help me out, Marcus. I think, uh, I think the most I can say is this kind of points to where maybe why, in terms of writing on the wall, to your point, while somebody like Gresham left, mm. you know, because it, 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 you know, like you said, it's it's hard. Like you want more eyes on the title and on the company. You're putting on Jericho. Nobody's gonna do more to get in people's face to become annoying to, you know, bring awareness to things that he's doing more than him. His his ability to reinvent himself, you know, at this late stage in the game has been his, you know, his ultimate ace. Um. And as good as Claudio is, he just doesn't necessarily pop off the screen and and get you in a way that 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 Jericho is honed. So um, you put it on Jericho and you do your thing, but in the process of that, to your point, you kind of have to taper off from why the whole Ring of Honor thing has always worked in the first place. I guess which is why you get it back on Claudio to see if you could capitalize off what you did with Jericho, um, which I guess is what we're gonna have to kind of wait and see. 
um, going forward. But yeah, I think it's to your point. If if the guys that you need to have the the championships, um, in terms of of name value, if you will, and they're not necessarily performance, are guys that go against the RH code is what we just saw with Jericho, kind of what is, is going to ultimately become a Ring of Honor up under AEW, uh, which, like I said, lends, lends to itself to be the writing on the wall that Gresham saw and then defected because, you know, he essentially put the, the core of the brand on his back. Um, so he wasn't didn't want to deviate from that because that would have been a slap in the face to everything he had done. So, um, like I said, maybe we just have to wait and see if, you know, this this works putting it back on Castagnoli and wait until we get the next Ring of Honor show to see if we get back to foundational norms when it comes to the Ring of Honor brand. But like you said, to your point, this may have been a spark of the norm because ultimately, you know, it's it's not traditional Ring of Honor that's kind of running the show, if you will. I think that's the problem the company always had. Let's look a little bit at the history of the company for a start. And we do, we've done this from time to time. The company was founded as a tape trading company. You know, the Ring of Honor was part of a video company, which was um, our video, um, which sold um, Rob Feinstein, who we don't need to go into today. <laughs> uh, but Feinstein basically founded the company based on the fact that he was selling lots of DVD, well, tapes back then of matches from Japan. And he thought that he put wrestling promotion together based on the style of wrestling that those matches which sold on his DVDs, he would have sold on the tapes he was selling, he would have, you know, um, a market he could control, which was clever. Um, and that's really where the company came from. But if you are building a company to a niche market, you are already limiting the people you are intending to watch it, which is fine. And that is the trouble Ring of Honor had all the way through its entire run as an independent company, even when it was bought out by Sinclair, was with Sinclair it had less issues because there was no real cost. It just had to make a television program, which is fine, which has enabled everybody to get paid, basically. Um, and this kind of in a similar situation now. They don't really even need to exist. They only have to do four pay-per-views a year, and that's fine. Um, because AEW kind of pays the bills. But the whole point is, it was a specific wrestling fan that you were selling to, and largely 20 years into the company's career, you are still selling to that specific wrestling fan. Younger fans have come into the company, but the base is always going to be limited because they're doing a specific thing that specific wrestling fans enjoy. And historically speaking, we all know this, the best way to sell wrestling is to make it a three-room circus. If you don't like the clowns, you might like the tigers. Which Ring of Honor can't do because Ring of Honor is essentially 13 clown acts. No offense, that's a bad analogy, perhaps, but you know what I mean? They're doing this, they shoot, as Mick Foley said, you know, like ECW was watching a guy should get shot out of a cannon 12 times, <laughs> which is, and that's the, that is the thing with, with Ring of Honor. It's, it's a safer, less risky, but still, you know, a style of wrestling which has a specific audience which they've done well to kind of widen, but it's always going to be limited. And uh, this, is the, this leads us to the issue of the fact that the last Ring of Honor pay-per-view, which was Ring of Honor Death Before Dishonor, I was right, it did have on own style, surprisingly, was announced as the main event being Claudio Costagnoli versus Jonathan Gresham. We know that that finished early and it went on early in the show, um, but it was the announced main event. And as Ring of Honor champion, uh, Jonathan Gresham drew 37,000 buys for that pay-per-view. This pay-per-view, with Chris Jericho as the World Heavyweight Champion, also being challenged by Claudio Castagnoli, only drew 26,000 buys, which arguably means that Jonathan Gresham is a bigger draw to Ring of Honor fans than Chris Jericho, which is a problem <laughs> when you're trying to build it to a wider audience. And we have seen bookers far and wide, and arguably some bookers with much more experience than Tony Khan, have the same issue. So what does he do? Does he try and stick Ring of Honor being its traditional core product, 
given the fact he's got rosters to burn, he can put all sorts of talent into those situations so long as they kind of come into the Ring of Honor kind of environment and stick to it. And is Jericho's experiment, the Jericho experiment, has it backfired for the company? It is a, it is certainly a conundrum. Because do you go with, you know, like you said, it's that core audience that's that's maintained. But if you're, if you're always looking at the bigger picture, and your bigger picture is, you know, this, this AEW style, if you will, is 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 what's you know, keeping us afloat and keeping, you know, people coming back. And it's the, you know, that type of, you know, young buck, Kenny Omega versus Lucha Bros thing that like, that's, that's what we are, uh, you know, opposed to this, you know, this pure stuff and this, you know, traditional ring of honor, if you will. Uh, is that going to ultimately make that brand suffer? Like I say, just make it ultimately a subsidiary and and have eventually people looking at and then I hate to think about this but eventually looking at them being like okay that's AEW and that's AEW light I mean Ring of Honor type mm-hmm. of thing and you, you, that's not what you want but you know because of, of circumstances being what they are depending on the direction um, obviously viewership because of everything's not going to be equal when you got one side of things happening maybe four or five shows a piece and then this other part maybe having an, an exclusive viewing experience via like you said youtube or some other platform is is you know things aren't going to necessarily be equal just off wrestling exhaustion alone you know so uh yeah, that's an interesting conundrum as a boss to have i wouldn't want to personally be in his shoes and then, but, but also not just for that reason so you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that pretty much gives us, I mean, well, let's say, that's a conversation for you guys to have if you listen to it. If you want to talk to us about it, you can find us on Twitter for now. <laughs> let's not speak about Mastodon. They might off banners from the platform. Yeah, we were told, by the way, during the World Cup final, because then no one would be watching, that you're no longer allowed to cross-promote from different... Um, um, huh. Different social media platforms. So I wouldn't, for instance, be able to put our Instagram account in our tweets on Monday when the show goes out. Gotta love that. Gotta love that straight up end of the year middle finger to content creators, huh? Oh yeah, that's it. That's that's uh, just like it's also the point is if they if everyone up to now has played nice, and if you had a Facebook post that you wanted to share on Twitter, then you post, then everyone would go read it, and vice versa. Which means that Instagram, Facebook, uh, Mastodon, uh, anyone else can also do the same thing to Twitter and allow cross-promotion of all of the social networks except Twitter. So Twitter can then be shut off into its own thing, which is going to reduce your reach. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It's uh, just... We do talk a lot about Twitter on this show just because we like Twitter and we liked it before uh, Space Karen took over. So we're probably going to keep using it until, you know, it falls under its own weight. Though I am trying Masters on at the minute and it seems quite nice. <laughs> I think Chelsea's trying Hive. Are you anywhere else, Marcus? Or is it just on Paradox Twit, twit no, Paradox Kid at Twitter.com? Yeah, it's just there for right now. But, you know, if, uh, you know, I might get some recommendations for you because obviously I, I trust your opinion. So, you know, I might look into something like Mastodon later because it's it's Twitter's looking like the end of days with a tyrant like playing the I'm not touching you game every day when he tweets. So it's yeah, yeah. Uh, you can find me at Sheriff Lionstar on Twitter. You can find me at Sheriff Lionstar TX on Instagram. So that's not very wrestling based. You can find the show on Twitter at Truth New Show and on Instagram at Truth New Show. You can find us on Discord, which is the Truth New Show podcast. And you can find us on Facebook, the Truth New Show, and on Patreon, where you keep the Truth New Show free forever for everyone. Next week, um, we will be looking at Glate, but a different kind of Glate. Uh, Marcus, would you like to join us on Wednesday or are you, are you or Cherry Tuesday about? Half on your time, or would you be busy? I uh, should be free. Should be free this week. 
And then I will send you Glate's latest offering, which is Glate MMA, which features lots of Glate professional wrestlers in MMA matches against MMA stars. Matt Roberts um, of the Roman Wrestling Review is going to join us because he's an MMA expert, which I think, Marcus, me and you would both say are we are neither of us are MMA experts. Oh, great. <laughs> so um, Matt's going to come and help us out. So yeah, next week it'll be me, Marcus, and Matt. At, um, we'll be, that will be the uh, Christmas edition of the Truth Show, if you will. We will have an awards show before the end of the year at some point. I'm working that out with Dara so we can record everything at once. And we'll probably do a Christmas special show at some point because I'm determined to get a world-class championship wrestling Star Wars card reviewed with John at some point this week so we can do it then and we can bank up a load of Christmas stuff. So there'll be loads of content for you to listen to whether it's wrestling or MMA-based. Um, and you heard it here first. We're going to do MMA Gleet next week. Take care, and we'll speak to you soon. Thank you very much for joining us today, Marcus, by the way. No, man, always a, always a pleasure. And we'll speak to you soon. Take care. Bye.